Welcome to Have an Opinion, Nick and Kyle here today with a very special episode. That's right. We've talked to people before, our friends mostly on this show, but now we have mm-hmm. a real interview That's in this right. episode. Tim Tortora, uh, who has worked in Hollywood from the financial side mostly, but he's held a myriad, that's a good word, of other jobs, um, now working in the financial side of Hollywood. He joined the show. He talked to me. Kyle, of course, going to be there because he has his uh, his two jobs, <laughs> Mr. Two Jobs over there. Gets brought up um, every week. But yeah, so we're going to jump into that interview at the very beginning of the show, and then we're going to talk about the American tradition, which is not true, of camping. Uh, all that, and I'm sure some side conversation today on Have an Opinion. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Nick and Kyle, once mm-hmm. again, back at the table. Um, before we jump into that interview with Tim, uh, I wanted to, <laughs> if you saw the camper in my driveway. I did. My I... grandparents' camper is the one we took camping this past weekend. I had every intention on us recording in there today. Uh, it just, it just wasn't, oh, that's gonna, what, oh. yeah, it just wasn't going to work out. Then I said, maybe my backyard and we can sit in camping chairs and it'll be funny. And then it was so windy. I said, it's going to sound like crap. Probably here's the one time we do it. It would be terrible. So now we're down here, but, uh, (laughs) we'll get into a little more camping talk. Uh, Mm -hmm. both of us like camping and all of the, uh, highs and lows that come with it, I guess. Uh, we'll get into that. But first Tim Tortora, who has worked in, as I said at the beginning, so many different, uh, TV programs, movies, TV movies, anything that you can think of in the television or on-screen aspect, he's probably worked close to it or has worked those jobs. Uh, So we're going to jump into that right now. We hope you enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit of a new spin on what we normally do here on Have an Opinion. We finally have a guest that is not someone we already know, so it is not a cop-out guest this time. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Tortora here is here. Uh, he has worked in Hollywood for over 30 years, started as a tape operator, and slowly worked up the ranks. He worked with major studios on major films, and now he helps others avoid bad film investments and, in his words, avoid getting ripped off by the Hollywood con man. Tim, thank you very much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate and, it. Absolutely. And so we're going to start off with uh, maybe the most obvious question. Uh, what kind of made you want to get started in Hollywood and how did you get that first step through that door? Well, the first question is, how did I get interested? I grew up in Southern California and my parents, I was in, I was a music major in college, although that turned into being a degree in advertising for you know reasons having to do with too many students in music and me just not wanting to be um, a full-time musician and practicing the way the guys who were better than me were practicing. I just didn't want to do it, but I realized that at a young age, I got really lucky. And, um, I, so, cause I grew up here, I was around it and I, because I was a drummer, I was connected to it by virtue of school and work. And I went to school in Southern California. I went to Cal state Fullerton and in the process of getting my, uh, undergraduate degree, I realized that I loved entertainment and that was what I wanted to focus on. And I, at a young age, I mean, I started as a freshman and I got an internship in a recording studio. And so almost from the time I was 10 or 12, I remember driving past the studios. My parents had tickets to the theater and we'd go to the Schubert, which now was gone and the Pantages and other places to watch, you know, whatever was coming through town at the time. And I remember driving past the studios, Paramount and Universal, Warner Brothers and Fox, and thinking to myself, I want to know what's behind that gate because I couldn't see behind it, but I knew something was connected to it that had to do with the Oscars, which I watched every year and promptly fell asleep around 10 o'clock or 9.30 because I was a kid. 
and I just was fascinated by it. And then I got into recording and I found the technical side of the business that was just fed my, my that curious part of my brain and where I could just input a whole bunch of data and out the other end came art, came music, came a recorded record. And that was what fed my soul and fed my curiosity and fed my interest. And that just parlayed into what I'm doing now, which is a full-time CFO. And that's a really unique story. I feel like, I, obviously, I've never been anywhere near California, but I feel like it's so awesome that there's all that influence right there with so much of the entertainment industry coming from California. Yeah, there certainly is. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm not an uncommon story in that I, there's a, there are tens of thousands of people who come here, and there's no measure for what those numbers are, but I'm guessing it's in the tens of thousands, who come to Southern California knowing not a single soul and wanting to get into the industry. And I was that kid. I, my parents, my dad and my, my mom were both Orange County entrepreneurs. I grew up in Fullerton. They ran their own businesses separately, individually. And so I was around business. I was around the thinking. I was around, you know, obviously my parents wanted me to inherit one of their businesses, which luckily I didn't because both of them went away. Those industries don't exist anymore because of uh, the personal computer and the internet. But nonetheless, I didn't really want to go into their business and I knew no one. And I had to figure out how to get connected to Hollywood and to the influencers and the sponsors, what I call and what I share with my students, sponsors in the industry who can help pull you up from whatever level you're at up into the next chair. This is a business of referrals. You have to know someone, you have to impress that person, and they have to say, hey, there's an open job somewhere, could be in their own staff, could be on another project, another studio, another employer, and they will say to somebody or themselves or internally in the room, you have an open slot, this person, Tim or whoever, insert your name, needs to be the person who should be considered for that job. And that's how you move up in the business is because you find a sponsor, and I don't mean mentor, I mean a sponsor, someone who you've worked for, someone who you've had access to, you've interviewed with, whatever the situation is, somehow you impress them. And you impress them because you showed up on time, you asked smart questions, and you understood the business in which they work and their corner of the business. And that in it, those three things in themselves will get you noticed in this business. And that's what I teach. I teach, you know, learn how to get connected and be relevant. Absolutely. And so you kind of touched on this next question just a bit right there, but how difficult was it for you to rise up the ranks? As you mentioned on your website, you started as a tape operator and worked your way up. Uh, how difficult was it though uh, to move up the ranks and what jobs did you hold during your career in Hollywood? Uh, difficulty in moving up is, so the hardest part in the business is getting in. Once you make a connection and you start building out your network, that it sort of takes off from there. But making that connection is the hardest part. And really all you need is one or two people. And in the process of connecting with those one or two people, you have to impress them in some way. And that way has, I think, is like I said, you show up on time, you show up relevant, and you understand the business they work in. When I say the business they work in, there's a lot of verticals in this business. So there's dramatic television, there's feature film, there's comedy television, there's sitcoms, there's reality, there's award shows. Each one of those verticals has a network that people connect with. So if you want to work in features and then you go do a whole bunch of reality television early in your career, the likelihood that you're going to jump from whatever job you rose through the ranks in reality into features is slim to none. 
those populations just don't run together. They don't network together. They don't hang out in the same circles. They don't sell to the same companies. So you have to understand the vertical you want to play in. And once you do, and you, and you connect with the people in that vertical, that's the place you're going to go work. So it's about selecting that vertical. And then once you select that vertical and you get networked, it's actually not that hard to move up as long as you're not, well, sort of, um, how do I describe without being too crass? As long as you're not a pain in the ass. I mean, you just, you do the job, you keep your head down, you stay out of the politics and you do a good job. You stay in the job you're doing, you do it as best you can, and you ask for more responsibility for the next job. But you're still doing that job you have to the best of your ability and to the level that your employer or your boss expects you to do it at. So that's how you move up through the ranks. Um, how The jobs that I've had have ranged from um, a tape op, a recording engineer. I worked as a media planner and an ad agency for a studio account on Columbia and TriStar Pictures. Um, I rose to the next level up above that. Um, and then I went back to start being a PA on a TV show. I was an AD for a short time. I was a line producer. I was a production executive. I was a production finance guy. I worked in the accounting office on shows. So I was literally assigned to Home Improvement, Ellen, a whole bunch of, um, uh, a whole bunch of uh, pilots that we did at Disney. I did some features at um, Sony and just kind of knocked around doing finance. And then when it came time to, for me to make the jump to being an executive, uh, it was because the head of the company at Harpo Films here in LA who does who didn't produce the Oprah show that was done in Chicago, but Oprah Winfrey had a production overhead deal at ABC for television movies and uh, sit and and, um, and for shows on primetime and a feature deal at Disney, which at the time they were separate companies. They weren't merged yet. Uh, so anyway, the, re the, the, the result was I did that show as a production accountant and the head of the company recognized that I was interested in the next job and invited me to do that job. So it was because of Kate Forte, who was the president of the company at the time, was the reason I got that job. And that's how the grind goes. And then from then I've, I've line produced, I've been an executive and I now sit in the seat of a CFO and I do anywhere from 10 to 12 TV movies and um, episodic television for the networks and the studios. A lot of, um, a lot of foreign production gets done mostly in Canada. And um, that's kind of, that's my bread and butter. And you mentioned all the different kind of projects you've worked on uh, in addition to all your jobs, but what production, whether it be TV or movies, um, had the most challenging production from your standpoint? And how did you personally grow from that experience? I would say the most challenging were was a, a Halle Berry miniseries that I worked on when I was at Harpo Films. I was newly made the head of production, physical production, and... Um, it was a four-hour miniseries involving Halle Berry shot across three or four periods, and it had a relatively small budget for what the, the, the appetite of that project was. Uh, it was, it was uh, I want to say it was a little more than $10 million, which now $10 million in the TV movie and, and uh, miniseries space is, is like, that's a windfall. It's, a, it's probably five times what you'd get to do two hours of of television for movies of the week, but nonetheless, at the time the appetite was high. It had a it had a feature uh, star in it who hadn't ever done features before and was being paid 
a very large salary, which ate into the budget and to some extent. But Oprah had said to the company when, she, when they sold um, this particular series of called Oprah Winfrey Presents, she said to everybody, I don't want you, you don't have to make money necessarily on these movies. I want to change the way movies are made, TV movies are made. I don't want to see Women in Peril, Disease of the Week, all these kind of really kind of sleazy TV movies that showed up in the 80s and 90s on network and uh, cable television. She said, spend every penny we get from the network on these projects. I don't have to make a profit. I do fine here in Chicago making the show. I just want to change how we do this. And I want to do it based on literature. And she literally single-handedly did that. She brought feature actors to television. She used underlying rights for books pretty famous books in many cases. The Wedding was a, a book from um, a uh, Harlem Renaissance writer from the 1950s or 60s. Um, I can't, her first name is Dorothy. I can't remember her last name. But nonetheless, trying to turn that book with Halle Berry in the lead role, making a, a big salary into four hours of network television that lived at the level of quality that Oprah Winfrey wanted, which was, I want to do features, but I want to do them for television. I don't want to do shitty TV movies that we see out there all the time. That, when the script came back and the schedule came back from the ADs and the director and the budget came back from finance, I got no sleep that night. I was like, how am I going to pull this off? But it worked. And not to mention the fact that we didn't have a lead male yet. And we'd kept going through one after the other, after the other. In fact, we shot the first, I want to say six or eight days out of a 50 day schedule without knowing who that actor was going to be. And finally the, the, the schedule, we were out of work to do without him. And we just said to the network, you got to make a choice. Got to make, got to pick, um, tell us who you want it to be. We need them on a plane tomorrow morning. They got to be in fitting the next day and they start to work in two days. So that was, by far the most complicated project I've probably uh, certainly had done as an executive at, at that point in my career. And it continued to get more and more complicated, but it was extremely rewarding in that, you know, we pulled it off. We weren't over budget. We didn't have to ask the network for help. And um, it was really, it was, an, it was an exciting time. And it was, yeah, it was angst provoking and it was a, a lot of stress to do it. But delivering that movie, getting it in the can, and getting it on the air, and it doing incredibly well. I want to say like 29 million people showed up to watch that movie, which was a huge number at the time. It's a huge number now, but it was a big number compared to what other shows were doing at the time. And that was ultimately extremely rewarding and, and also very difficult. And yeah, I can definitely see how you could uh, grow from an experience like that. Uh, obviously, that story revolved heavily um, around the influence of Oprah Winfrey, who's probably one of the best to ever do it. Uh, she just kind of showed up and interviewed uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, and it was the talk of the town for weeks on end. Um, is there anybody else you worked with uh, that really kind of picked your brain and made you look at a project a different way? Um, yeah, I would say on Tuesdays with Maury, which is another Harpo project, a, a director called Mick Jackson, um, he, he brought a level of, of experience and creativity that completely blew my mind. And I have to say, probably 70% of his ideas, and this is true of all creatives, were just wacky and out of left field and just didn't make sense for the project. 
but the, but the 30% that did were incredible. And he just figured out how to make things work for with what he had in front of him. He, he had you have limitations of actors, you have limitations of money and location and editorial and all the rest of it, right? But Mick came at it in a creative way from a big studio background. He started many, many years ago in the 70s, I think even in the 60s, working in British television. So they didn't have a lot of money and they knew how to really make stuff work in ways that was very creative and didn't require a lot of money, which I think a lot of big features really do suffer from, which is there's a lack of creativity and ingenuity because there's an endless stream of money, it seems like. And then pretty much everybody on those shows knows it. So they don't really ever think all that creatively. They just think, you know, in the way they always do everything. But in addition to that, I want to come back to something you just said, which was, you know, Oprah Winfrey and the Harpo brand. You know, when what we were doing in television movies, working from literature, hiring um, feature actors, the only feature actor who had come to play in television at the time what prior to what we were doing was um, Meryl Streep. Otherwise, feature actors were like, oh, no, 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 I don't do television. That, that's beneath me. And so you never really saw those personalities come and play. So the fact that we were working from books and we were working with feature actors and we were not doing, you know, rip from the headlines, murder mystery kind of stuff, you know, the networks, it wasn't easy. It was a hard sell. And it was difficult. The first two movies, the, the Before Women Had Wings, and then which was the first in the series, and then the miniseries with Halle Berry, The Wedding. The network was, until The Wedding had 20 plus 25, 29, whatever the number was, I don't remember anymore, but until the network saw 20 plus million people show up, which was a big number of people, they were like, I don't know, man, this seems weird. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. And Kate Forte's answer to them was, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. And then she did fucking ignore them. I mean, I never worked for a company where we got notes from a network. And then the executive would say, oh, that's awesome. And then ignore them. It was amazing. But after the second one, it got a little bit easier. But everything in Hollywood that you do, if it's different than the previous anything that came in the industry, every single executive is going to be like, ah, I don't know, man, we want, and then insert whatever terrible actor that's been doing that thing for the past five or 10 years, right? They want the thing that works. It's a business of copycat. And if you break the mold or you break the model, executives freak out and they don't know what to do with it until it works. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, that's the new thing we're going to do. Now we're going to just going to copy that. So yeah, Oprah Winfrey was the 500 pound gorilla in the business as far as ratings and television goes. But I got to tell you, those selling those shows and getting them on the air was not easy, especially in the form that we got them on the air. And that, I attribute a lot of that to Kate Forte and her ability to just be like, no, we're staying focused and we're doing what Oprah wants, which is to change the way TV works. And going off of that a little bit, how challenging is it to go back and forth between maybe trying to appease the studio or the network and then trying to you know, keep everything else in line as well? Uh, for me, it's not a challenge at all because my job isn't to do any of that. I'm a finance and logistics executive, right? That my job is to get um, the technical term is um, head of physical production or a production executive or a line producer. That's sort of the, the group of people whose job it is to get people and materials and money into a place so the creatives can do their job, right? Showrunners, directors, writers, producers, actors, right? Right, so right. For my job, it's not that hard. But I will tell you that the biggest complaint that every 
creative soup has is that they're dealing with executives who just don't understand their vision. And by and large, uh, especially at the networks and the studios, it's less of a problem at the streamers. You hear all the time that Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, they really do let creatives do their thing, empower them with the ability to uh, create the content they want to create. Although that has a limitation to it. And that limitation typically is money. The more money they give you, the more they're going to be involved and the more they're sticking their finger in what they want you to do and telling you how to make the content that they want to see on their air. But um, it is, it is, it is a friction. It's a definitely a friction point for every creative, for every pr creative producer. And then, you know, we, we on the physical logistics side have to try to figure out how to close that gap between what the creatives want and what they're going to be allowed to do and what the studio is willing to let us do. So it's kind of messy to answer your question and it's tough, but it somehow it gets worked out and sometimes people get fired and sometimes they <laughs> stick around and that's kind of the truth of it. Right. And so you've mentioned Harpo films a couple of times you uh, served as the head of production there. Uh, and obviously your ultimate goal as uh, I think we might've touched on earlier was to be in charge of your own, uh, film studio. So how close did you feel to reaching your ultimate goal when you got to that role? And kind of what responsibilities did you uh, get presented with in that role that maybe you hadn't done yet in the industry? Well, when I was, so I had, I'd been at Harpo for about five years, we had made five or six TV movies, and we made a feature film while I was there. And in the in that period, the next job for me was to go work at a studio. So you would go from a independent producer, which Harpo Films was, it had an overhead deal at a studio or a network or both. And you would go work as a production executive at a studio. That was kind of the next thing. And then from there, you go move into running, uh, run, this is in the late 90s, early 2000s. That was the way the structure worked. And then you'd go work at a studio and you'd run production at a studio. So you were over development, making decisions about what got made, what didn't get made. And then you would go run a studio after that, sort of work your way through the ranks. Um, when I got to the, the stage where I was talking to the people at the studio who were looking at as an and sort of grooming me to move into that next stage of my career, and they're always scouting talent and tracking who's out there to fill those lower, the, the, the sort of higher level executive jobs. Um, when I started to meet those people and I started to sit in meetings with very senior executives, studio heads, asking questions about material, you know, studio heads like Harvey Weinstein wanting to buy a piece of material or Joe Roth wanting to buy a piece of material from Harvey Weinstein and Harvey turns into a pig and Joe Roth is like, yeah, and it's tell Harvey, we don't do business with terrorists. We don't, you know, that's not our jam. Um, when I started to see that sort of friction and that politics and the way those people did their jobs, the way they did their job based on what you see on the outside and how they actually do it are very different. So there's a there is a um, there's a narrative there's a story around the personalities who are at studios running a piece of business and that narrative isn't always reflective of their reality. So the narrative for me I could I didn't want to live in the space where the narrative was out of sync with my reality. I didn't want to have to in my words live a lie. It felt to me dishonest and I couldn't figure out a way to live the narrative and be the narrative and still operate and create that outside perception for people to, to inspire people to come work with me to, you know, to build whatever that was. Right. So as I got further up in the ranks, I thought to myself, I don't want to be that guy. The problem is I was 35 years old and I mean, I got the job at Harpo. I was 30, I was very young. And so 
I, you know, I sort of floundered for a little bit. There were probably five years where I knocked around as a line producer from, you know, I worked on Jackass and then I made a Benji movie and I made some, I lived in Prague for a year and worked on projects over there for a production services company I was a partner in. And, and I made a snowboard documentary and a baseball movie, a little league baseball movie in, in sort of 2001 to about 2007, eight and nine. And then that's in 2009 is when I became a full-time CFO for two, a couple of producers, Howard Bronstein and Michael Jaffe. And in that period of time between working on at Harpo and working uh, for uh, Michael and, and Howard, you know, I sort of knocked around not really knowing what I wanted to do because I didn't want to go to that next step. And it took me a while to kind of figure it out. And I ultimately did, but you know, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting leap, you know, and I think, I think that leap exists in every business where you, you go from being a, a tactile executor to being a myth right? Whether it's a legendary myth or just a myth, you get into a certain level where the reality no longer, uh, your, your reality of how you, how you do your job, no longer is in sync with your public perception about yourself. And that for me was in conflict and I, I couldn't do them. I didn't, couldn't figure out how I could live in that space. So um, the answer to the question is a long-winded way to say, you know, it's, it's um, I just kind of saw what the future was and decided I didn't want that. And it took me a few years to figure out exactly what I did want. And how difficult was it to kind of have that conversation with yourself after having that dream for so long? Um, it actually wasn't that difficult. I mean, I, I'd been in the business for long enough to know that, long enough to be very clear about what I wanted and what I was willing to do. So, you know, I often say when you're young in this business, you're going to be confronted with a decision you're gonna to have to make about, whether to play sleazy or not, you're going, you're, you get, you will get to a particular level where you work with people who have a spinning moral compass and it, and it spins to wherever the money is. And I had been around long enough and seen enough of that, hadn't decided that if it was the right thing to do, I was going to do it. I wasn't just going to follow the money and, and put my moral compass aside and say, that's okay. Yeah, this woman one day, came to work, uh, she was drunk and she drove the craft service truck and, um, or drove a truck. I don't know, anyway, she drove a truck and she was clearly, it's nine o'clock in the morning and she was clearly drunk. And I turned to the production manager and I just said, what do we do? He's like, she's gotta go. And I'm like, I agree, how do we do this? She was well-liked, but she had to leave. And apparently this had happened a few times in the past. And there were, cause we started calling around and saying, Hey man, we're having this problem. Are you guys experiencing it from the other show she was on. And that was a seminal moment for me. I was probably 30 years old, 33 years old. And at that moment I was like, okay, from this moment forward, I have to make the choice of what's right. And what's, I could have let her stay. I could have let her drive that truck home drunk. And I could have let her continue the, the day, the work, the day's work showing up to work, having been completely fucking plastered. So at that moment, I was like, no, this is not okay. She needs to go and she needs to be replaced. It was a pain getting her replaced. It was the hardest conversation I had to have with someone to say, look, man, you came to work drunk. You got to go home, sleep it off and we'll pay you for the day, but don't come to work tomorrow because your employment here is over and you need to go find a different place to work. I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I'm not going to tell the entire world you came to work drunk, but you need to go get yourself some help. And, the, you know, so the answer to your question, 
was it difficult? It wasn't. I was, for me, it was, and it was, I had already decided a few years earlier what my place and how I was going to behave had already been, had already been decided. So yeah, it was giving up on a dream, but the dream changed. I didn't want that. I, I'd been on the road for probably close to 10 years. And well, a little more like eight. And I kind of wanted a lot more stability. I didn't wind up getting it for another, you know, six or eight years, but uh, nonetheless, I, it was, it wasn't that difficult. And I wasn't like I was giving up on a dream that, oh, I had to have it. I had to be this thing. It's like, you know, it changed. And I think that's an important thing for young people to realize and people who are in the middle of their career, just because you had a dream and it changes over time, doesn't mean you're a failure. You got to a particular place. You've decided that you want to do something different, set a course for that something different and just be happy with that and say to yourself, I was successful. I got to this particular place. I looked at what I was coming, what I wanted, and decided I wanted something different. There was no failure in that. The failure for me is taking the job, being a miserable asshole, getting into your 50s and saying, God, my kids don't like me. I never see them. I'm a drunk. I'm a drug addict. What would I do to myself? That to me is failure. Right. Absolutely. That was a very powerful way to put that. Um, and so now moving into what you've uh, talked about now, uh, what you're doing now, uh, you've talked about uh, the Hollywood con man and how you can help others avoid that. Can you elaborate a little more on what you do and kind of what the Hollywood con man is? Yeah. So there's three sort of buckets you can put the Hollywood con man into. And it's it's the guy who it's the guy or woman, call it the producer, who goes to the bored rich guy and says, hey, man, I want you to invest 11 million, a million, whatever the number is in this project. You'll get 50-50 ownership. We'll spend it. We'll make the movie. We'll run the festival circuit. And you're going to be so rich. And what their play is, the other side, the guy who gives them the money, is he gets or she gets to have bragging rights at the dinner table with their friends in the Midwest when they're at dinner. I'm in the movie business. It's so glamorous. Or they're going to come on set on set, which, by the way, sitting on a set is probably one of the most boring jobs you can have. It's worse than being on an airplane, flying to Europe and doing absolutely nothing. It's the same, especially if you don't have a job and you're just watching. Uh, at any rate, it sounds glamorous, but it's super not. It's repetitive and it's the same thing over and over. Um, and when I say the same thing, meaning literally reading the same page over and over, but just covering it in different angles. So anyway, it's not an interesting job. So that's the bored rich guy, right? That's the producer stealing from the investor. Then there's the producer who steals from crew, which I call the Hollywood con man, because what they do is they get crew to work for free or for low wage, telling them you're going to work on this project and your career is going to explode. It's going to be great. We're going to run the festival circuit. There's a theme here, by the way. We're going to run the festival circuit. We don't have distribution, but it's going to be big and it's going to be great for you and you're going to be amazing. And the third thing is distribution uh, or filmmaker um, fraud, which is where a filmmaker will get a movie made. They'll give it to a distributor. A distributor says, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go take it to the festivals we're going to take it to the film markets and we're going to sell it for millions of dollars and we're going to keep a 10% or 20% commission on that and we're going to own your film for however many years in the process of doing that. So that's that is a that is the piece that I teach people about filmmakers and investors about how to recognize what's a sham and what's real. How does the business work? And you know my my blog which is at timtratora.com, shameless plug, um, which you can go read about the business and how it actually operates. You know, if you're an actor and you're going to auditions, auditions happen at a commercial space. They happen with other actors. 
they happen with a casting director and or a camera and an associate in the room. And if the associate's not in the room, they're on the other side of a wall or a door, two seconds, two steps away from where you are. They do not happen at a hotel room and they don't happen at some producer's house. If, if, you're, in, if you're being presented with that situation, you're likely gonna get a situation where you're gonna have Harvey Weinstein's dick fall out of his robe and you're gonna be like, oh, Jesus, where'd that come from? So that's the, the point I'm making here is the, the blog is about, here's how the business works. If you're a writer, here's what you should expect. Don't option your material for free for a year. Do it for six weeks or six months. If you're a filmmaker, always get a minimum guarantee if you finish a film, when you're giving it up the rights to a distributor. You'll never pay money in this business to raise money, to get your movie sold, to work, never gonna happen. You will always make money. It may be little bits of money and that may grow into big piles of money, but we don't ever give money away to get into the business, to sell a piece of material. We take in money, it's our job. Our, this is what we do for a business. Businesses don't spend money to make money. You make money first. And you've also written a book in addition to your blog um, on your website, which you beautifully plugged, I might add. Uh, <laughs> can you elaborate a little more on what you can find in that book, A Hollywood Accounting? Yeah, it's it, it's written from the perspective of uh, me sitting down with a internet millionaire who wants to invest in the movie business. He made millions, he's retired, and he wants to learn about Hollywood. He thinks it's glamorous and it's amazing. It's essentially the bored rich guy, right? And I sit down with this kid, kid meaning he's he's in his 30s, you know, he's done okay. Uh, and I explain how the business works and I just walk them through it. And I tell it through an example of many of the different movies I've worked on where I cobbled together a bunch of stories where the movie implodes, uh, myself and my UPM, my production manager, almost wind up in jail uh, in Mexico because the producers took off and the government wants to pay their crew 160 grand. And if we don't cough up the money, we're gonna wind up in jail by Saturday. And we've still got 53 cast and crew in Mexico and three and a half million dollars worth of gear from the US that we gotta get back into the United States. That gets taken by the, um, the Mexican crew as hostage for the money that they're owed. So, and it's told from that perspective, it's told from the perspective of here's what happened to me. It took me 20 years before I got ripped off and I almost wound up in jail. And it was for one reason, I let greed get in the way of me thinking straight. When that movie decided they wanted to go from North Carolina to Mexico, I thought to myself, that's weird. We, we're about to shoot in six days. Why are we going to Mexico all of a sudden? I should have just said, you know what, fellas? Good luck. God bless. Moving on. I'm going to go home. You guys go to Mexico. Find someone else. But I didn't because I was making good money. I, honestly, I was making five or $10,000 a week, somewhere in that range. And it was going to be another, you know, whatever, 15, 20 weeks worth of a salary. So I let that get in the way of me making a rational decision. And I think filmmakers often do the same thing. And that's why I wrote the book, was as a cautionary tale for people to say, hey, here is my experience told through this uh, story with an internet millionaire. And, he, and then the latter third of the book is about here's how it really works because somebody comes in and actually wants to buy the movie that cratered. And, and we go through the whole thing about how these people are gonna buy this, this, uh, this movie. And in addition to all of that, you've mentioned a few times you're a CFO at Full Force Financial. Can you explain a little bit about what goes on there? Yeah, I'm an outsourced CFO. So I have a dozen clients who make 
uh, episodic television, TV movies, branded content. And I just support their work, either back-end uh, financial work on the, um, the movies that they make. I bring staff and all the processes that are required to do that work. And we do it almost all remotely. And then I have a couple of clients who make um, a bunch of TV movies every year. And in the process of doing that, my job is to go find money for them. And when I say find money, I'm not raising private equity for any of it. We basically take distribution paper, have to go to a bank and close whatever cash flow gaps we have. And that's essentially what I do. I do it for a bunch of people in town. And I've really appreciated you uh, taking the time to talk to me today. Um, you started off mentioning how you were a drummer who became interested in movies, who realized uh, his life dream maybe changed a bit midway through and obviously gave that very inspiring answer about how you're not a failure if you switch your, li uh, your life's goal. Um, so I'll leave you with this one question, which is what would you say to someone who's maybe on the fence of maybe thinking that they're a failure um, because they're realizing that what they want to do isn't what they thought they wanted to do. What would you say to kind of get them to take that leap and trust in themselves and believe in themselves to go make that jump? I would say that be serious about and accountable to yourself about where you are now and what it is you want to do and how those two things are out of sync with one another. And if you can make a column that is positive and negative about them. And if the negatives outweigh the positives, then you got to sit down and figure out what your next move is. And what I would say to those people is we all have to make a living. We all have to figure out what makes us happy. Don't just blow shit up. You got to make a living, stay in the job, figure out, be strategic about where you want to go, what you want to do and how you're going to get there and still make a living. You may not make the same living you're currently making, but you have to be able to support your family, pay your bills, put money away for retirement, and stay connected to your network. Those are the four important things that you got to do. And if you can make that transition from where you are now to where you want to be and think about those steps, do a lot of informational interviews with people in that next space where you think you want to go before you actually make the leap, do it strategically and just don't blow it up. I see it all the time. People are unhappy. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And they just leave. They just bail. And they go from making a decent salary that pays for their life and a little bit for the future. And they blow it up and take a, you know, take a haircut and they start from scratch. And it, whenever you switch careers, no matter what you do, it's going to take you three to five years to figure that out, to get to roughly the same space you are now. So think about that change in terms of this is going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And I'm not going to be an overnight success. The every single overnight success I have ever seen in my career has taken at least 10 years. There's no such thing as overnight success. If you can do it in three to five, you're doing better than most. Tim Tortora, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And a big thank you to Tim for uh, joining the show. I don't know why Kyle's laughing. I think he's laughing at how abruptly I just started that after yeah. I said, okay, we're going to put the interview in here. I forget the whole and, editing magic yeah. that goes behind the scenes. It's all right. Did you figure out how to open a PDF yeah, yet? Okay, yeah. good. I'm proud of you. Uh, Kyle's there. stuck in 1970. Control uh, good V, copy, control P, paste. Wow. Nope, nope. P's print. I already okay. messed it up. One of them's print, one of them's... Close enough. Yeah, close enough. Thank you to Tim Tortora for coming on the show is the main thing. Uh, really Big interesting conversation. Loved hearing uh, all of the stories, especially the ones about Oprah and stuff that kind of really make you see just who in the industry has that 
you know, the big brain, big open mind right, ideas. Yeah. How can we change this? Really interesting to hear mm-hmm. uh, his stories of, again, who's like that in the business, how he looked at the business over time, and uh, all of those other great conversation uh, points that we hit. Uh, and if you skipped this part, go back and listen to that interview because it was really interesting right, in yeah, case you don't take stuff. my word for it now. <laughs> uh, but now we're going to go from the big screen to living off the grid, living. which would be camping. <laughs> right. Uh this was sprung on because Kyle was going to be late today. We're recording like a half hour, 45 minutes after we normally record. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, this is going to be a shorter episode of us, um, which might be a blessing for some of you, or you might be very upset to hear that news. And we are, <laughs> click off. <laughs> we are sorry uh, if you are big fans of just the Nick and Kyle show, which mm-hmm. was the other name idea for Half an Opinion. Uh, <laughs> it was a coin flip. Uh-huh. The two white guys at a table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was another one. Uh, but so we went camping last week, me and my family. I was only able to go for a night because I worked. Yeah. Uh, as you recall, one of our most famous episodes was the camping trip episode, which has been pulled uh, for a profanity-laced rant. That's right. Uh, yeah. That was not about the camping trip, but just how angry I was with how selfish people were being, given <laughs> a certain situation. Uh, I've decided that for the one-year anniversary, yeah, this is live on-air planning of this show. Oh, boy. If John comes up here, me, you, and him should record like a one-year-later reflecting on that camping oh, trip kind of episode. That would be fun. And then you we'll could... put that in with our initial thoughts. And it'll be like a big, long episode, like of what we think of it now, looking back at it, right, and then like what hindsight. we enjoyed right after it. I would be interesting to hear that, like, because that was, what, we got back on a Sunday and we recorded probably in like a weekday? Yeah, we probably, well, we recorded on Fridays, basically. I right. Think, I think every episode we recorded on a Friday yeah. when we started, except for the one of the camping trip. That was like right before. Yeah. I just dropped that cap. I wasn't playing with myself in case you just <laughs> saw my hand quickly jerking around by my waist area. Appreciate the disclaimer. <laughs> that would be good. John, uh, he was saying, we were talking last night about him coming up to visit, and he said, really, whenever works for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll keep an eye out on that. And that's more of a personal thing. People that were involved in that are our sure, friends hearing yeah. about that, but still, it's gonna, there's a lot of good stories there if oh, you do yeah. care about us as people, if you're not, if you're a viewer that's not one of our friends. <laughs> uh, but I mean, we're going to talk about camping. We're talking yep. about what we enjoy about it, what we don't enjoy about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, should be a pretty quick, well, I don't want to say quick, pretty pretty casual right, uh, discussion. I'll start it off because we don't have talking points, believe it or not. We just said we're going to talk about camping. Um, <laughs> throw the <laughs> Yeah, throw, throw our expensive phones across the uh, across the room. Kyle's drink of the day is the coconut. Oh, yeah. I didn't highlight it because I've had it before. I'll have a new one for the next that's full what, length. That's why I didn't call it out. Yeah. I've, I've, I like to think someone's like, that. that's the one he bought Nick. And someone got really excited it's, about it's it. keeping track of those screenshots. Yeah, <laughs> they got it. Did you see, did you watch last week's? Where I zoomed in on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As they showed off, you're like... Oh, it was the ghost. Yeah, yeah, that's why I looked, yeah. it was the ghost, and then it... Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, camping, finally. Mm-hmm. I felt like we crammed an intro in, like, three different spots, but it doesn't matter. It works. We're professionals, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, Where did you go? We went to the Buckaloons. The Buckaloons. Which would be I a good it spot a f- to start. Had a funny name. That's it's why I wanted Along to the Allegheny, basically. I think... I don't know how close it is to Tidiute, but further down, within driving distance, is Tidiute. Are you near Youngsville? I think so. It's... I think Corey's one of the last, quote-unquote, big cities before you get there. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, because Youngsville's right after Corey. Yeah. 
before Warren. Yeah, I think it might be a little past Warren, too. It's probably 15 or so minutes to get to Corey from there, 15, 20 minutes. Oh, okay, so yeah, you're probably real close to Youngsville. Yeah. Then. Nice, that's where my camp this, is. I thought that sounded like that was where your camp was. Yeah. I thought the drive was a lot longer. It's a weird but drive. But it's like an hour 15, yeah. so it's not like long enough to be like, road trip, but it's long enough to where it's like, eh. Yeah, it... Just when you think like, all right, I've had like the forty-five minute mark. It's like, all right, there's like twenty more minutes of. I like it because it's scenic. Yeah, but... it's weird. It's a weird drive too, just because I like driving. Yeah, but that's such a weird length of a drive as we were kind of getting well, it's into not a there. highway either. And so you're also all... on like Route Six or Eight. I can't remember. Maybe both. I think um, it's Eight into Six. Yeah, or vice versa. I think it's Eight either way. And so it's just weird because you're never just like on the highway cruising. You're looking right. to see when you turn off onto another route or whatever. That's how it was too last year when we. I forget Clarion. No, it wasn't Clarion. Or the river was the river the was the clear. I can't remember what city we were in the middle we were of nowhere. Near. Yeah, we right. were Camper's Paradise. We were I think it was called uh, the actual city. Buckland is in Irvine. Irvine or Irvine. It's R I R V I N E. So it's Irvine uh, or Irvin, however you right. want to pronounce. It. I would say Irvine, but yeah. it's whatever. So we were there. Uh, I didn't take my kayak. My cousins brought kayaks and stuff. We didn't even get into that the night I was there. Mm. We showed up. We put everything up. I was starving. I ate some hot dogs on a, pro, on a mini propane tank. I just uh, put it over the burner and ate hot dogs because we weren't ready to start a fire yet. Billy Joel didn't arrive. <laughs> and uh, we just set stuff up. We played some bocce. We all were like, hey, so-and-so's <laughs> so here. And yeah, then it, yeah. people showed up all day Thursday night. Oh, we, so you had a big group then? We had a group oh, area. They the have best. like a group area that's like rented all the time, but we rented it well in advance, so we had oh. it. So there's room for a bunch of cars, campers, and then there's a bunch of grass. And so there was like a tent city there too. How close was like the closest people that wasn't related to you? Like other campers? Probably uh, probably football field or something. Oh, that's awesome. Because you remember when we were last summer, it was like from me to you was like the next guy. You could see his fire and then... I saved this story just for this show. Okay. There, there was like we were right by the water. Like if the weeds weren't high, like you could literally just be staring at the. Oh, water. Oh, right into the Allegheny. Yep. And so there was a little wooded area too, with like trails to get right down to the water. Granted, they were kind of steep. Yeah. And so I went kind of deep because it was like if you're watching, this will be helpful. Uh, there's like our area. There's a parking lot which we had the campers and cars in, and then mm-hmm. on this side back here, there was like the trails and stuff. Okay. And so I tried to get back into that enough where I could take a leak. Yeah. And so I, you know, began doing my thing Mm -hmm. once I'm out of sight. And I look up and the site next to us, they had a dog that wasn't on a leash. It was a pit bull. (laughs) I look up and about 40 yards away from me, I see a pit bull. And he's just like... (laughs) I, I think I stopped mid-flow and just <laughs> retreated, and uh, we we settled down. Later on in the night, we came back from the uh, actual, like, bathroom, because mm-hmm. it wasn't time for number one anymore, right. and uh, <laughs> and so, in case you didn't yeah, catch I my trip, and that dog was just walking through the parking lot our cars were in, and we're like, did they know this <laughs> dog? It's like 12 a.m. Like, did they know their dog's not there? No, I don't matter. So, That's funny. So, I literally did nothing. I woke up the next day. Mm-hmm. We had pancakes and sausage. Pancakes is pretty good for camping. Yeah, we have that little like burner. We oh brought, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, then I left. 
I did make some s'mores. We almost didn't have mountain pies for me, though. Mountain pies. That's, I keep calling them moon pies. I think they're either or. I think a moon pie is like a Little Debbie snack. Yeah. I don't know where I get that I think that it's from. the same. I think some people do call it that, though. Oh, okay. And so everyone's like, kind of like, boy, we're tired. We set up all day, and I help set up, too. So right. I'm not going to be like, what was me? Uh, I deserve this. But I said, I, Mom, can we, can we get the mountain pie stuff out? Because I didn't know where they put everything. Right. And she's like... If someone else wants one, like, yeah, but I really don't feel like getting out for just you. And the word mountain pie came out of my mouth, and every one of my cousins, like, rose from their seat. Nice. Before we knew it, there was mountain pie paraphernalia all over the table behind the fire pit. What is a a true mountain pie? I don't know. The ingredients. Bread that you butter, and then whatever you put in between the bread, basically. Oh, okay. So it's It's basically just, just like, cooking a sandwich over the fire. Okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if it was a dessert. I never... We always did, like, mine was... Turkey and provolone. Oh, okay. So it was um, like a sandwich. You made. Yeah. Some make pizza ones, which is just sauce, mozzarella, cheese, and pepperoni. Yeah. In it. I've heard of the pizza um, ones. What really irritated me, um, hopefully my parents don't listen to this. I love my parents, but sometimes <laughs> like they just do. I'm sure a lot of young adults can agree. Like, and I appreciate their help for most things, but like I've made mountain pies. If you recall, I made better mountain the pies marauder. than Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts we went camping with, we didn't yeah. go camping with like little children Boy Scouts. Like our friends, our friends were, former who were, bo- yeah. were former Boy Scouts. And they like made, according to me, worse mountain pies than I made. Like, oh, yeah. And, At least one of them. And I was very proud of that because that was like the only thing I could do better than they did. And, well, yeah, they were making the fire. Yeah. And sa- yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let me make the fire. I didn't get to show my camping prowess, but right. I made a better mountain pie. Yeah. So I was like really happy. And then like I'm making my mountain pie and my dad was just staring at me the whole time, like staring at it. Like, you want to want to tuck that bread into the, the maker a little more? Want to put a little more butter on there? I'm like, Dad, like, I know how to make a mountain pie. Right. Like, if it burns, I'll, I'll on up to it. It burned. But, like, you got to trust me here. And so I made it. It looked good. That's I, a bad I, thing to I, do. I ate it. I appreciated the uh, the extra stress of making a mountain pie. <laughs> just uh, so that was cool. Locked in. But I got my mountain pie. I was pretty happy. I was pretty happy about it. Yeah, I would be. And then I made two s'mores. I've never been a s'mores guy. I'm really good at burning them, but that's pretty easy. I let my marshmallow on fire. I don't get it golden brown. It's just like on fire, mm-hmm. and then I peel it off, and yep. it disgusts my girlfriend to no end. And I'm, I, if that's the most disgusting thing I do, then I'm doing a pretty not, good. Yeah, doing a pretty yeah, good job. S'mores come up. Either. Pretty good job. I like marshmallows. I just eat them plain. I have no need to heat them up or mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm probably just too easygoing. Yeah, know. yeah. But I I love a good s'more. They're a little sticky though sometimes. Yeah. They're a little. I don't Same like when the ma- the marshmallow residue gets on my hand and then well, I go to touch then something. Where do you where do you wash your hands? Oh, in the fire. You just burn them off. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Just- um, Cotton candy's the same way. Yeah, Ugh, yeah. never been a fan. But it was fun. I wish we had time. I wish I had time to kayak and stuff. But apparently, yeah. kayaking was a nightmare. Oh, really? Well, that's good. Because there's like a bridge. Because our spot was kind of near like the freeway or Route Eight or oh, whatever. Yeah, right. Because it, it was like the first spot in the campground. You go in, and then you like loop back, and that would be our campground. So okay. we're kind of close to the road. There's a good amount of trees and stuff, yeah. but you can still see it. Right. Okay. And so, especially the bridge. And so apparently they just all like they said, "Hey, like stay around the bridge area because the current wasn't too bad." And like all of them apparently just went off and were getting swept by the current. And so like then my grandpa and dad, who just wanted to sit there and vibe, enjoy, to put it in a young person's term, right? Enjoy the uh, they had to go out and like snag all these teenagers and Reel middle schoolers, in. and <laughs> it was a disaster. Apparently, I said, 
I would not have. Apparently getting them all ready was a production because they were arguing over who was going to go out with who and whose turn was going to. And I said, my mom's like, you're really lucky you didn't like stay for that. And I said, I would have said, is my kayak here? Are my stickers on it? Do I have my paddle? Okay, the rest sounds like your problem. Are my stickers on it? I don't want that fish and game commission fine. No, you don't want that. Those guys, up. if you th- you think like rent a cops take their job too seriously, like security guard, you should see the fish and game commission. Oh yeah, they they're luckily we don't see them too much for hunting. Yeah, but yeah. I... Well, one time I went fishing with my grandpa. Oh yeah. When I was like six, and mm-hmm. I had a Scooby Doo pole with a fake goldfish on the end. Yeah. And I cast it in the water. And my it gets stuck. Right. So my grandpa unsnagged it, and the fish and game guy came over and said, you need to have your license on you. <laughs> and my grandpa, like, laughed, and he, like, looked at him like, what are you laughing at? My grand, We parked – I don't know how – my grandpa says it was, like, a quarter mile away because we walked a bit. We were on Presque Isle. Right, right. So I don't know where it was. But he followed – my grandpa had to walk him back to his car, open up his glove box, and then pull out his fishing license. And the guy, like, looked at us like, don't let me see you doing this again. Over a Scooby Doo pole, with a much he wasn't shorter. fishing. Your grandpa wasn't. My fishing? grandpa took my pole to help me get it unstuck. Wow! A Scooby Doo fishing pole that a six-year-old was using. That's incredible. And the fish and game guy followed him all the way back to his car and like right. threatened him to not let him catch him fishing without fishing without a license again. Wow! And I was like, "How bored are you?" Yeah, that's really <laughs> what it comes down to. Is like you got nothing, nothing yeah. better to do. That's like my aunt and uncle who have a boat. They say like the boat commit or whatever the boat one is called. I, uh, the port authority. Yeah, port authority boat and game. It's not boat and game. Fishing. What, what is does the... fishing game have? Rain over boats too. No, because I don't know how that works. They're only I think concerned with like the animals yeah, and the habitat. Yeah, but no. The, what's the because they? It's not like border patrol, but there yeah, is a word. I want. I almost said coast guard. It's not the coast guard. It might be the Coast Guard. Um, whoever it is, they say, like, they'll just be out there and they'll be like, permission to board, and they'll just come on and just start, like, looking at stuff all the time. If they're, I'm like, wow. Unless the boat's on fire or you're making a huge wake or something right. crazy that's, like, harming other people and you're like, they have something in there that shouldn't be there. Like, why yeah. would I, why would I care? I guess they probably don't have much better to do in yeah. theory, but. Well, they have no one to answer to, too, so you can't get out of stuff. Oh, really? Either. Well, I don't think so. That makes sense. So, I don't I mean, know who they would answer to. Fish and game, especially. What the Navy. Am I going to go tell the park rangers and they'll go, yeah, park <laughs> rangers aren't any nicer down there. No. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Sounds like a fun time. Even a day. Better yeah, than it was nothing. nice. I got there and I was like, I wish I called off. Hmm. I really, I didn't even want to go really. Well, so it was Friday you worked? Yeah. So you were like you had like a Thursday. I worked Friday, Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. I was gonna leave Saturday, come back Saturday night, I would have gone there like eleven. Mm. And then like if we were gonna do something Sunday morning. Right. That way I'd be there. And maybe I could kayak a bit, but I was I said no way. Yeah. That wasn't gonna happen. I was too tired. But Still it, got away from the city for. I mean, not that we live yeah, in like New York. No, I got away from the big city. It's still the skyscrapers nice. got away. From it. <laughs> you could see this. You could see the stars. It was weird though that I didn't want to go, and then I got there, and I was just thinking about how I didn't want to leave. Yeah, that's it's really how it is. <laughs> and too. I was I was just sitting there, and I said, I don't want to work. I don't no, want to leave. It gets it. really cozy by I the was, fire. Really I felt quick. like an old man camping because all my cousins were doing stuff. And I was like, I just want to sit here and eat mm-hmm. my stuff, trade some family stories. Right. And then I want to just float down the river in my kayak. 
Yeah, that I had never been kayaking or tubing down a river before. Mm-hmm. So the first time I was with you guys, and that might be like one of my new favorite things to like do. My camp is up on a mountain. It's mm-hmm. a trailer, so it's not really like tents or nothing. It's like a trailer, and we yeah. have our own land and stuff. But it's not like it's for hunting and stuff. There's really it's yeah. not like you not wouldn't go there. Up. Yeah, and there's no AC, so like we don't go a lot in the summer. I mean, you go spend a weekend or something go mow the lawn stuff like that but yeah i've never really done much in the water i've had friends who have boats yeah and then you with the kayak that's about it yeah but that was i mean kayak was down one of my river, favorite purchases oh it's just so calming i guess mm-hmm. how often do you sit somewhere do something for a couple hours and just not look at your phone not yeah listen to music even i mean just Chatting down the river, chatting down the hoochie, chatting down the Chattahoochee. That, mm-hmm. that brings me to my shirt today. I you, yeah, I knew it had to get brought up. Yeah, if you haven't looked at it, there it is. Way down. I just noticed he's a hoochie coochie. No shirt, yeah. shorts, and uh, cowboy boots. He's vibing. Imagine getting out of the water with that. He's having a good day. Uh, but sunburn. yeah, I I enjoy camping. The sunburn. The that sun was bad. Did what? you get burnt? Like no. That? Oh, you were in the kayak, and you had a shirt on probably. When we went? Yeah. Did you have a shirt on? Did I have I had I a shirt on. I knew I wasn't taking that shirt off. I think I did. Oh, you know what I did? I took mine off mm-hmm. and left it the neck on. Mm-hmm. So I got burnt like here yeah, and here. Yeah. Oh, boy. That was a treat. Yeah, it wasn't too bad for me at least. I, I wanted to go on another like group camping outing this summer, but I don't know if it's ever going to happen. It just it stinks that it's so tough to plan yeah. for something that's so... Now that we're all adults. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, really suggestive. <laughs> it just ah, uh, it's it's hard to plan something that's so by the seat of your pants. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you got to get everybody together, find a day, find a place, and then you get there and it's like, all right, let's just do nothing. And, and last you year's know? went so perfect that I feel like anything else yeah. could be a downgrade. We, I'm pretty sure like every 20 minutes somebody was like, all right, what's gonna happen? Like yeah. nothing we've ever done has gone that smoothly. You can see my neighbor weed whacking through the basement window if you look really hard. Not to cut you off, but I just thought that was a no. terrifying visual to see a man with a weed whack. It looked like he was gonna come right just through our window. Yanks me out That's the window. That's my opinion. Uh, I was sitting there, and I was like, how do you defend camping to someone that doesn't get it? There are certain, like, hobbies people have that you, like, that people don't get. You feel like you have to defend it, or, like, Mm. you either get it or you don't. I feel like camping's one of them. Yeah. Because how do you defend spending hundreds of dollars on stuff to go live like you have less money than you do? Sure. That's a good good question, because I think the biggest gripe people have with it is no shower, no running water. Like, at least my camp, there's no running water. Mm-hmm. There's an oven and you're inside, but like, so that's. Can't tough. shower in an oven. No, you cannot. Tried it, failed. Oh, man. <laughs> no. It's a rough weekend for the burger family. <laughs> you know, that's a good question, though. How do you defend it? Because, and I think to add to your point, people who are against camping are usually like, I will not go camping. It's mm-hmm. not like, well, convince me. I've it's never like, heard, I'm never going camping. I've never met someone on the fence about camping. Right. I've never met someone who's very like, much... boy, I really hate camping. Yeah. I, I, or, well, boy, I'm really in the middle. Like, I don't hate it, I don't like it, but I'll go if someone... Like, I've never met anyone like no, that. No, I, I think part of it is you need a tent or a sleeping bag. If, if it's true, like, middle of nowhere camping, mm-hmm. you need something. You need some stuff. And I think if you don't have that, then you're... Yeah, you're not like, oh, I'll buy the sleeping bag in case anybody asks me to go camping. Like that's not. Gonna yeah, happen. who's who's gonna buy camping stuff? Yeah, <laughs> just out of so the, you gotta either really plan it. It's gotta be the outdoors. Yeah, people don't I, like the heat, don't like the bugs. Uh, 
which I, I get. Yeah. I tried to think of things that I would say. I was like, I think the simplicity of it's yeah. Uh, like I'm obsessed with my phone and social media and stuff. Like I check it all the time, even if I'm not posting stuff. I just feel like I need to know what's going on. Right. But I never, other than to answer a couple people's texts, like I didn't feel like I was missing anything right. during that time. So the simplicity, like the kayaking, just sitting on the river, like going, mm-hmm. wow, it looks beautiful out here. That sort of simplistic stuff. I love yeah. eating food on the fire. Yeah, like, I, I think oh, stuff cooked yeah. over a fire is really good, especially mountain pie, s'more stuff like that. Yeah. So th- those would be my leading arguments, and I think when you're camping, you're forced to like talk to the people that are right. with you, and you get good stories, you get good bonding. Not you. not to get deep, but the deepest conversations I've had with Kyle were with three other people around a campfire. Yeah. Like we would never talk about some of the things we talked well, about that last night at the campfire when we all went camping. Like we got really into like some personal stuff. Yeah. Well, and I and, said well, you're not going to have that in your buddy's basement. Well, no, cuz you watching never get, a game. Yeah, so you never get a reason to. Like when the group of us hang out and it's not by a fire. We're playing a game, wiffle ball, basketball, doing this show. Like I'm not just going to be like, "Hey Nick, Tell me a story from your past that haunts you. Like that yeah. just doesn't come up out of nowhere. Nick, what, gotta... what do you think made you into the man that you are today? <laughs> right, what, like, what defining moment? <laughs> right, you got to build on that after talking for a little while, and it's just it kind of stinks that that doesn't happen more often. But I guess you really just need to be in a place where there's no distractions, and then that yeah. stuff starts to come out. I guess, and a fire is probably the easiest and best way to do it. That was almost why I was upset we weren't there another night last year. Because I thought that second night we got really deep. Yeah. And I said, like, these are the most valuable – like, I feel like as friends, like, we all were just, like, growing. Mm -hmm. Like, even though there were people there that we weren't super close with at the beginning, I felt like everything was just – I don't know what this is. But coming together, meshing, I felt like I'd known them for a long time. And you just don't casually have those meaningful – you can't really force those conversations too much unless it's late night hours and you're – bored and you're like let's have a deep conversation I was say, right now. what last time would have been like over xbox during the quarantine when yeah. we were in the red and no yeah. one left their houses for yeah, a while we had some deep ones on there but that it was... wasn't anything compared to right camp chat <laughs> the good old cc sabathia cc but it i i don't know those would be my lead off things if i was trying would, to defend why camping i think too you have to have a like People who think nature's like beautiful mm-hmm. are just trend towards camping. And if you don't, you yeah. know what I mean? Like every now and then you look outside and it's like, man, it's just great. Or like yeah. great view. Right, right. And if it's like, if you don't, if you don't get that, that's fine. That, yeah. That's your opinion. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You're not going to want to go camping and go down a river if you don't care about the sunset, yeah. you know, when it happens. Did you see last night's sunset? I did. Oh when my When I took that gosh. walk that I snapped a picture of and made the old red, like yeah, shelter, yeah. it was like purple and orange. Oh. I, I couldn't see of, enough to like even bother taking a picture to like right. show anybody, but I could. It was like almost dark by that point, but okay. it looked amazing. I got out of work and like right over Giant Eagle, it's like wide open mm-hmm. and it's just like bright orange. And it was like, oh my gosh, it was beautiful. That's the only reason I brought it up. I was crying. No. I could have. No one seemed to. I was like, oh, that's a really cool sunset. Normally, I wouldn't say yeah. something like that. I wouldn't pick All up. All the on other that. pharmacists. Everyone just else was like, at Kyle. That and does scoff. look pretty cool. It's like, yeah, but. It's uh, the stars, too. It was cool. That's oh, where thing. we were at, the stars were insane. At my camp, they're really good. Where we were at last summer, mm-hmm. great. I think anywhere where there's no natural light, mm-hmm. all the street lights go away. And the whole walk from our campsite to the like communal bathroom, Yeah, you could have saw stars. 
there was there'd be some trees blocking them, and then the minute you got in the open, there's like hundreds of stars looking back at when you. When it goes from like a couple like oh, I think that's the Big Dipper to like the Big Dipper and all the tiny ones behind mm-hmm. it, you have that like glow. Yeah, oh, man, I could stare at that forever. It's cool. It's a really cool experience. Looking up, I never, I always like psych myself out when I do that, but it's cool feeling that small and how insignificant a lot of things are it, when you look up or even when you're like kayaking yeah, or doing something on the water or something where you're just looking at all of nature and you realize camping, how, and it's just, you have this realization of a lot of the things that I'm worried about right now don't matter. Mm-hmm. There's so much to see. I'm such a small person in oh. such a small part of what's going on in the world, and I don't know if that was a, ju- a justified explanation. No, I. But it's it just makes you feel calmer almost when you look up and see something like that. Yeah, it. I watch a lot of like space videos about how like space is expanding and how mm-hmm. eventually it'll stop, and the and I just blows my mind how like how small <laughs> yeah one person, even how small Earth is compared to. Everything inside the app blows my mind. Oh, it blows my mind too. But I don't know, man. It got deep. We were we were treading on those deep we were, waters. We, we were, were treading, but this is not the time. <laughs> not the time. Do you do you think you could convince someone to camp that doesn't That's like since what, we were on the top? Right. I was do you think bring there's up. anyone like if someone said I hate camping, I don't like do you think you could convince someone, or do you think that's one of those things where it's just not going to happen? You know, I think you'd have to do baby steps with someone like that, like mm-hmm. have a fire in the backyard, then maybe like like my camp where you can still sleep inside where there's not as many bugs, and yeah. then have a big fire outside and like segregate it. That would work. And then, but to be like, yeah, me and you are going to go spend three nights in a tent mm-hmm. without showering or anything. I don't think so. It's funny because I should hate camping. I'm really? the palest human oh. being I've ever seen. <laughs> the mosquitoes love me. Do they? I have every excuse to say hell no, but yet I, I go year after year for the quality time, and that's why camping's the best. The quality time. Yeah, if you can, if you can get past the bugs and the heat, and still want to go, that's those are probably the two biggest things on why nobody mm-hmm. wants to do it, or people don't want to do it. It's always fun watching the family just go into shambles during setup and takedown. Just yeah, watching the arguments. It's, it's like, a very weird... You're setting like, up a tent. There's no need to get that deep. There's no need to get that angry at like, each other. Settings up always like goofy. Like I remember me, you, and Jed set up the tent. Like we're joking around. Like, oh, does this go here? Does that go uh-huh. here? We're all, you know, making jokes. And then Sunday came and it's like, all right, let's take it. Like we're angry yeah. taking it apart. It's not yeah. fun anymore. Everybody's like two days of like not showering, yeah. kind of tired sleeping on the ground right you know it was fun i were me and you sharing that air mattress yeah and it was like if one of us moved too far it was just a very odd well i didn't have one and i was like i'll just sleep on the ground and wherever we were there was just like rock rock yeah there's a bunch of excuse me rocks i I, I would have had a warped spot worse than worse than my hunch already is it would have been I never realized how bad my, I don't know if I have bad posture, but like my lower middle back has just been a pain most days just because I sit all day. Right. I get up and work out and stuff like I talked about last week, but just I when I'm not doing that, I'm watching TV. Right, you're just, yeah. I'm writing something, like it's bad. It's so bad. And I can't think of any like way to crack your lower back. I know Ooh. like middle and upper back, there's all those twists you can do. I usually put my hands like the bottom of the bones uh-huh. there and then just thrust my hip forward and if i get a pop cool if not i oh, just wow. go ah. kyle's 
rusting on air now. I'm getting old. I don't know, man. Hopefully we're not getting old. You're not getting this. The shtick we're on is right. getting old. I don't have much more to say. I know this was a very casual episode. Uh, yeah. If you had anything to add, no, I don't think so. I was gonna add that uh, I come from work, which we've mentioned before. I realized I left last time, and I was like, I wear the same thing. I've been every waiting time. to call you out, but I was waiting to see if you know because every thumbnail's me. Different. And I'm, di- I'm wearing different things, and it's you in a North Face hoodie. And I'm well, because like, I work in a cooler, so I'm not yeah. gonna. You know, it's a long sleeve and a hoodie. The long sleeve changes. I'm not. I'm not dirty, mm-hmm. but the hoodie. There's no need to change. Yeah. It just goes over everything. Yeah. So I'm like, do people think Kyle is is homeless? The beard just gets worse. Does he and just worse? wander off the street and go? It's time to have an opinion. You Damn just, it! You let me out of that room yeah. once a week to talk. And then he goes back in, back in his cage. That's right. Ah oh, man. Shout out to HLN, by the way, the yeah. network that Forensic Files 2 airs on. So we found out Forensic Files still makes new episodes. It's called Forensic Files 2 now, and I'm pretty sure it airs on HLN. They followed us on Twitter, yeah. which Big was a thanks. huge win. Huge yeah. win for the guys. Thank for you, something man. as small as us. Big win. Big win for us. And uh, now because of that, we're going to give away a million dollars. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I wish. That wish was cool. Could. That was awesome. I you sent me that, and I like I told my parents, they're like, "That's pretty sweet." I uh, I'm I, not you know, on Twitter either. I don't yeah. know how common those interactions are, but that's a big. I, I mean, it was a verified thing, right. so that was a big deal, especially for us. Mm-hmm. But the other thing was I posted our top ten summer songs on the first day of summer two days ago. Oh yeah, I and, didn't realize that was the first day of summer. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was like the 28th or something. I thought it was Memorial Day. No, yeah, no I didn't realize it's not that early. No, I barely not. officially for us it might be, right. but. And uh, there's no comments. I was really upset. Oh, really? I was hoping to hear some, like, feedback. And I the only, hate Kokomo. The only thing was my girlfriend was happy I had a Taylor Swift song on there. I said, I got yeah. you. And that was really it. Speaking of Kokomo, I was walking on today, mm-hmm. and uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice came on. This uh. this is just my casual, like, driving or doing something, like, just songs I like playlists. Right. There's, like, 700 songs on this. Shuffled, if I don't hear Kokomo start right after... <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? I was hoping Surfing USA was going to come on next, but it was some rap song. Trifecta. And I said, that was a very weird genre change, Shuffle. Mm. That was a very weird shuffle. Very weird genre change. Hopefully, you don't change the channel. You're not watching it on a channel. Don't change. Don't touch that dial. Yeah. Uh, have an opinion. Thank you to everyone that makes this possible. We're grinding, and we will continue to grind. Yeah. And upload every Friday at noon. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. I'm trying to say, drag it out so people. No. Didn't, but yeah, I don't think there's much more to say. Quick episode this week from our standpoint. Try and get another forensic files review now. I think we might have to do one next week. Find the two. I what I was gonna say on IMDb, they kept like the music, like what it says Ooh. there is like with the same music tone and everything that fans love. Which I think I I hate when like companies or whatever they change Mm -hmm. like oh forensic files too new look new this new that it's like or you could just use what worked for 20 years and continue i wonder who the narrator is because the other one died i did see he passed away i now i'm curious i'm not gonna know narrator's name that's true that's the only downside to that i'd have to hear his voice we'll have to find a new episode and review those because they are new techniques and all Mm -hmm. that so oh how much it's probably changed even since like 2005 when they yeah well i mean dna evidence used to be like not even trust now that Tim now Cook has all our fingerprints from our phone and everything. Like he, they probably figure that stuff out in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, I never thought of that. I'd actually kind of like to see more modern murders that like See stump people because I feel like it's so easy now. Unless there's like 
a quick drive by or something. Like I think it's so easy. Yeah, that's true. Well, and like in the old show or older episodes when people try to get away with murder they would always be so elaborate or they would do this or that and then like one thing would usually give them away Mm -hmm. at least on the the ones we saw i'm curious if it's still like that if people still like if it's like oh man you just can't get past this or like oh Mm -hmm. you forgot about this old you know like this old house on pbs um i watched one the other day where this like collegiate wrestler who graduated got stabbed to death Okay. And they arrested his killer, and the killer's like, I did stab him, but it wasn't meant to murder him. It was meant to get him off me because he was in the dominant position or whatever. But the way his the blood from the guy that died was on the front of the other guy's shirt, and I can't remember it. It was I made it sound like I just watched it. It was probably like a week and a half ago. But, but whatever it was, they brought in a wrestling coach and did an animation that backed up his story, so they let him go for time served. Basically, you had him where, like, if you were on your hands and knees and I was, like, over top behind you, like that one wrestling yeah, like, yeah, yeah, from behind position, yeah, yeah, where, like, a guy's on all fours and then you're above him. It was kind of like that, I guess. And he just, like, swung backwards with a knife to get this guy off him and he hit. And then he turned around, and so that's why the blood came down on his shirt. Oh. That's because cr- at first they were like, if he was behind you, how did the blood end up right. on your shirt? And then... And they did this really crappy like '90s animation, like sure, that they showed in court. It. And it was like stick figures, like That's moving insane. around. And I said that was crazy. That's why that show is so good. Could you imagine like that guy's in jail for a long time? It was it, only like I mean, not like I wouldn't last six years, but it was six years. So it's not like he lost uh, decades of his life right. or something. But I wouldn't last six years in prison for no, murder. No, me so. But like if they couldn't prove that, yeah. or, they could, or no one. Oh, I'd be so pissed if I went to murder and if I went to prison and didn't do it. <laughs> right? Yeah, then, I'd be heated. Well, I I would hope. <laughs> I I I think you'd be like, well, duh. But I I would hate to see who I would become if I went. I would complain so much. They probably would put me in solitary because no one wanted to listen to me moan all night. <laughs> Not in that way, but in, like, the complaining kind of way. Right, right. Hopefully you don't have any complaints about this show. For Kyle, this is Nick. We'll see you next week on Have an Opinion, you freaks.